Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Parts Unknown studio. My name's Matt Davis-Adams, and you join us for the biggest extravaganza in WrestleMania podcast history. That's right, it's the PU crew back with you once again as we continue our WrestleMania retrospective. Today, it's Mania 11 up for dissection. The show took place at the Hartford Civic Center in Connecticut on April 2nd, 1995. Connecticut, of course, the state where Titan Towns is based, so this was a home fixture for the Fed. It would prove a divisive show. Some thought the use of celebs to attract mainstream audiences was a good idea, Others absolutely hated it. The opening package ran through all the previous manias and then had several shots of celebrities and wrestlers mingling, including salt and pepper falling over Bret Hart. Again, as the previous year, this was a short show, just two hours, 25 minutes, in fact. There were seven matches on the main card. Here to run through them with me, first up, the hottest free agent in the journalism world today. It's the one, two, three kid, Carl Anker. What'd you say, Bob? Next, the one federation man, that federation being Sky Sports News, where he is very much the champ that runs that particular camp. It's only Anton F. in Toulouse. Hello there. And last but not least, she's an author, a journo, a lecturer, and she was rocking the boss gimmick when Sasha Banks was in diapers. It's Dr. Carrie Dunn. Hello. Just lovely to have your company again, peeps. Now we've got the pleasantries out of the way, let's get on with the show. And first of all, you heard on my rather laboured intro there, my impression of Vince McMahon on commentary. We're in that era now. I want to have a discussion about Vince, the commentator. I didn't think this conversation would be necessary because I thought we would all think he was absolutely rotten. But there's an elephant in the room and his name is Carl Anker. You profess to like Vince's commentary. Explain yourself as we all glare at you. He calls them he calls the moves. I mean he calls, Which ones? He calls He calls them all maneuvers. He calls everything he sees on screen. Oh no, he calls it five seconds before it happens. Here we go! What a maneuver! <laughs> a drop kick and a beauty. <laughs> That's him copying Gorilla. Um he's doing a very bad Gorilla Monsoon impression. And because I haven't quite yet reached Gorilla Monsoon on commentary, I'm enjoying this because I've just had to deal with too much of whiff-whaff and nonsense on comms. I, I quite like it when someone calls out what sort of suplex is being used. But but he telegraphs everything because he's obviously been in rehearsal and seen what's going to happen. So as soon as suddenly anyone gets near a turnbuckle, Vince will say something like, oh, he's going to go up to the top rope. And he's like, well, I can, let him do it then. I don't need, don't tell me before it happens, you idiot. Find a thesaurus and find a different adjective for unbelievable. Everything is unbelievable. Well, to be fair, he's not, he's not Asian, though, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But to be fair, he is not the worst person on the commentary booth. We can all agree on that. Yeah, 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 for different yeah. reasons. But Carrie, he's a horrible commentator, is he not? Here we go. He's not that bad oh, on my, this one. On? <laughs> I don't think he's that bad on eleven. I think he's okay. He's not great. But he's not hideous. I'm going to sit on that fence and he stick used to it. The phrase, it's like pulling a turnip during the HPK diesel match. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> it was. I feel like Mike dropped up. Sorry, I'm just. <laughs> Suffering succotash. What are you talking about? Right, tweet us at the PU podcast. Do you like Vince as a commentator or not? We're, we're divided here, which I'm absolutely astounded at. Uh, back to WrestleMania 11. First, I want to discuss the main event, the oddest main event in Mania history, I think it's fair to say. Bam Bam Bigelow doing the job to recently retired American football player Lawrence 
LT Taylor. Uh, they'd first had a skirmish at the Royal Rumble earlier in the year, which was the basis for this match. Taylor had retired from the New York Giants the previous year after winning two Super Bowls. Uh, he'd admitted cocaine abuse in his second year as an NFL player, failed several drugs tests, not a problem for the Fed at this time, of course. He went on to appear in The Sopranos, Any Given Sunday, and The Waterboy, amongst others. Before we hit play on the record button, Anton, you were telling us that he was a big deal in the NFL. He was, a, he was a, a, an NFL great, in fact. Oh, he's one of the greatest players to play. Certainly one of the greatest defensive players to ever play in the NFL. He's the last person to win the MVP as a defensive player. And that hasn't been done since. And you think the likes of JJ Watt, who have come close in the last few years. He's a, he was a big deal, like a huge deal then. And for him to be on the bill and competing and look okay, I think would have been a draw for WWE, who were craving mainstream attention, as you can see by the the rest of the card. And what about his pals who were with him? I don't know anything so some, about some, American football. A couple of, one of them's gone to the Hall of Fame. They were all all pros. That's the name of the team. So they're all all pros. These, you know, they were all I think offensive or defensive linemen as well. Is, is all pro like being in the PFA team of the year? Yeah, effectively. It? Yeah, this these they had that's a good lineup. It's a really good lineup. So you see things like there's a couple of um, D'Angelo Williams has gone and did some stuff with TNA. Um, or Impact Wrestling or whatever it is recently. He was like a, you know, sort of second string running back for, for a couple of teams. And, you know, um, Gary Barnage was the tight end who made one all-pro appearance. But getting somebody who is, you know, legit Hall of Fame and legit one of the best... Like, and remember, this WWE wasn't the international Goliath it is now. It was very much Americana. And you wouldn't have got many better sporting names realistically to be involved than Lawrence Taylor at the time. And it started, Carl, didn't it? What what has become a more uh, familiar path to tread in recent years? You think of Goldberg and more recently Baron Corbin. The NFL to WWE pathway is quite open nowadays. Yeah, Brock Lesnar, The Rock, Roman Reigns. Um, if you can't cut it, well, I don't say can't cut it because that's mean, because it's really hard to cut it in NFL. Uh, it works because you, you tend to be big. You tend to have pretty good sense of direction and change in direction very quickly. And you're used to stop-start motions, which helps when you're doing wrestling and if you've had an injury that might prevent you from playing competitive sport it, it might not necessarily mean that you can't go on to be a, a pro wrestler i suppose yes and also i imagine in a really dark sense of the word you you're used you're not turned off by potential concussions i said it i said it or living with pain yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Carrie, that's the American football angle. Um, you and I have, have learned something there, perhaps. Tell people who don't know the beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, who was he? How did he get here? <laughs> okay, so um, this whole thing was weird to me. Okay, so Bam Bam Bigelow main eventing in WrestleMania was strange to me because I've only known him as a kind of mid-card big man. Next basically. week we're going to talk about his tag match against Doink and Dink. Yeah, I, I shall look forward to that. <laughs> But yeah, so he's, again, one of those solid hands and he's main eventing this WrestleMania. But okay, so this is another one of the ones that I didn't look up the results beforehand because I didn't want to know what was happening. And even as I was watching, I was sort of thinking, well, they're not going to job out one of their rosters as a special guest star, are they? Oh, yeah, 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 they are going to do that. I was, yeah. But they've always been enthralled to celebrity, haven't they? I know, but... Even so, someone who's kind of been there for a long time, someone who has always been treated as, a, as this solid hand. Yeah, I don't know. Doing the job. I found it, I found it weird. Does um, he, Carl, deserve a lot of credit for doing the job or is he just grateful to have been in this spot that he never would have been otherwise? I think it's both. Bam Bam was a great mid-card big. He, you know, he's a big that can do a moonsault. 
awesome look as well, yeah. wasn't he? Very yeah. agile, but great look too. Uh, frequently referenced by the New York rapper Action Bronson, um, who has a similar physique and I think recently copied his head tattoo. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a weird match. And I was watching this match and watching the fact that the All Pros are there and going, why isn't this Survivor Series? Because yeah. you've got five NFL guys, you've got Bam Bam, who has... Bam Bam is brought up by the... Uh, million tech, Dollar Corporation. Yeah, million Dollar Corporation. Like, this should be Survivor Series. You've got your five on five. Or you could have LT as one member of a collection of baby faces. But, I, you, know, I, you know, WrestleMania needs celebrities for crossover appeal, so it's fine. LT's surprisingly good, he, although he does have this annoying thing that... Uh, I mentioned this before about Ken Kennedy where he wants his fights to look really realistic. So there's a lot of bits where LT is on the floor in the corner and he's kicking and scratching at Bam Bam, which is how you would act if you're in a legitimate fight. But there's lots of times where Bam Bam's clearly just going, stop hitting me. I'm like, I'm going to hit you a couple of times and you're going to hit me. But LT is still like giving him like little punches in the stomach and the belly and Bam Bam's just like, okay, I'll sell this. Get up, come on. Um, There's a lot of hand-holding here. But I I was pleasantly surprised by it how good LT is and also really confounded as to why LT they keep referring to it as his WWE debut when he comes to the ring at the start of this match as if they had planned more appearances yeah, for me yeah I mean I was gonna can I mention that's something I want to come back to was there ever kind of a talk about him being this being kind of the start of a run because that would have made sense to me but no because the all pro thing yeah. I think ended up in some kind of business and then ended up going bust and Lawrence Taylor lost a lot of money and yeah, it's all, he, it all kind of, yeah, he had lots of problems in his life, I think, sort of after this, especially. Um, Bam Bam's good. Bam Bam's agile. Bam Bam can do things that big men at the time probably struggled with. So for him to be, you know, maybe not, you know, main event in WrestleMania, but for him to be in the upper echelons kind of felt right. He had a kind of a fun look, a scary look with the tattoo. He's, a, you know, like I say, a big fella. He can vaguely do moonsaults. He can vaguely do spinning hookers. He can do things that, you know, many others couldn't. I, I was quite entertained by him and sort of went back and watched some other stuff that he's done. He's, he was better than I think people give him credit for. But it's just weird the way it ends. WrestleMania mm. just kind of limps off air like, like a marathon runner that sort of, you know, just is, you know, it sort of broke down halfway through and has cacked itself halfway, you know, just down the finishing straight. It's really weird because the match Anton's finishes. analogies, ladies and gentlemen. They've it, been away for a couple of weeks. <laughs> they're back strong. It, it's weird. It just it just finishes. And then, you know, WrestleMania finishes with just a shot from the rafters and that's, that's it. It's almost as though a lot of times, especially during these matches, a lot of these matches look like they get to the end and people are so tired or they're so wary of timings or they don't know how to finish them or they don't know how to conclude one match and to either wrap it up the storyline or wrap up throwing to the next segment but you can't do that with the end of your main event and that's what they did here uh producer ben's pointing out that the uh, the finishing move for bam bam was called greetings from asbury park which is the only finishing move named after a bruce springsteen song bruce springsteen of course who has a song called the wrestler as well so clearly a fan of the graps game we're, uh, we're, not, we're not laughing at the words asbury no <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, we can't. I was trying to hold it in to look uh, mature, but no, yeah, it's very funny, isn't it? It's, it's like a bum fruit, which is the joke. Um, so that was the main event. Next, the WWF title match. Diesel retained by beating Shawn Michaels. Celebs galore here. Jenny McCarthy accompanying HBK. Pamela Anderson on the arm of Diesel after she ditched Shawn. And some kid from Home Improvement. And Nicholas Tuturo from NYPD Blue. They were all there for some reason. Carrie, would you like to describe Shawn Michaels' outfit here? No. 
Oh, Huge earrings, chaps, and blocked, a faux leather hat. I have blocked... Oh, I try to block it from my memories. When he starts to take off the jewellery, the accessories in the ring, oh, my goodness. The earrings, I mean, they, they, they took him a while. They it really yeah. did. He was, I think it was more about getting tangled up in his hair and the tassels and it... Oh, goodness, no. So no, Sean, no. Explain the uh, the feud, Carl. They were good friends, better enemies, as the In Your House was titled. Yes, uh, Sean Michaels does the Iron Man at the Royal Rumble. Um, earlier this year rumor has it that he told vince he'd like to be the iron man and be the going at number one and last the entire distance um because he also told pamela anderson that he was going to do that as a look how uh, amazing and at the best at wrestling i am apparently he like held a royal rumble hostage so he could sleep with pamela anderson i, I don't know how true that is but considering Shawn michaels in 1995 i'm going to assume it's true um. Yeah, Diesel was an enforcer and he's protected for a long time uh, throughout this era, much in the similar way that uh, Dolph Ziggler's being shepherded around by Drew McIntyre. After the Rumble victory, they fall apart. Shawn Michaels brings in Psycho Sid, who I'll always refer to as Sid Vicious and who I always will laugh whenever I see him on screen because he I just can't take that man seriously. Fear. Twice the man you are with <laughs> half the brain you've got. <laughs> One of the greatest lines in wrestling history. In terms of the match, Anton, um, Sean throwing himself all over the place to make up for Diesel's lack of mobility, the sort of thing you do for your mate, I thought. It felt like it, didn't it? It felt like I'm the guy that's got yeah, oh, okay, fine. Diesel walks away with the girls at the end, but I'm the guy who's got the you know the popular appeal. The I'm the sexy boy, but you know this guy's been with me for the last couple of years, and he's my boy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make him look good in a big spot. That's that's how it felt to me, anyway. Um, why did did anyone? So at the beginning, we were told that Pamela Anderson was gonna walk Sean to the ring, and then all of a sudden, Pamela Anderson goes missing and no one no one's really like just go and send that guy from MIPD Blue to find her yeah he's a police officer I mean <laughs> he should is, be first on the case why not is, standing why with no a bow tie and a microphone why is no one concerned about really concerned about Pamela Anderson who's apparently legit gone missing from your pro- what did Sean do why is no one having a go at Sean asking <laughs> what did you do to Pamela Anderson why has she run away nope doesn't matter and then she you know Anyway, it's all very silly. I just thought it was a weird thing. Poor Jenny McCarthy as well. Like, the secondary blonde. Yeah, and a heel as well. Um, Carrie, I didn't rate Barb Wire particularly highly. I didn't think Pamela Anderson was very good in it. But <laughs> she she managed to look baffled, scared and disinterested all in one go here. So maybe she was a better actor than she was given credit for. No, I think she was just genuinely baffled, scared and disinterested, much as I was during this entire match. It was very strange. You didn't enjoy the match? I No, not really. Um, yes, the kind of primary and secondary blondes thing was kind of weird to me i didn't really understand why they were necessary apart from kind of the celebrity thing they didn't really make much of the jenny mccarthy thing either and they were calling her jennifer so i had to kind of check that she was the jenny mccarthy who doesn't believe in vaccines what which... what else does she do why why was she here then I, I i'm not familiar with her work she's just a, she's just a model isn't she she's a, she's a playboy i think at the yeah. time she was mtv um and obviously WWE had a long sort of standing history with MTV sort of over the last ten years building up to that. Um yeah, she was she was huge at the time. The She'd 90s, go on to be yeah. in basketball, am I right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was kind of pop culture's, you know, sort of tasty vixen. 
I think would be sort of lads would have pictures of on her wall and that kind of thing. Never heard of that term. Uh, I was just thinking life. there's a there's a, a job on staff at the Sun for you, Anthony. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to think of like like something they would have used in the tabloids at the time without basically saying yeah, you know, just put it on the wall and use it as a wank rag, effectively, <laughs> which is effectively what you know those posters were, weren't they at the time? So glimpse into the Tolui childhood there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so that's the top two matches. Not much to write home about in terms of the undercard. One match which was okay until the finish saw Razor Ramon beat the champion Jeff Jarrett by DQ in the Intercontinental title match. Carrie, how do you spell Jeff Jarrett? No, sorry, it's gone. Okay, um, the roadie and a kimono wearing one, two, three kid accompanied each man to the ring here. My primary note on this, Carl, mullets ruled 1995. Oh, yeah. Business on the front, part of the back. What, What? Is is one two three kid okay? Why is he wearing a kimono? Why is he staring at me like that? <laughs> ah, well, he got some flurries in. He looked okay. Uh, and Rody, is that Road Dog? Certainly is the head writer of SmackDown. Uh, the past is another country. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of weird to see those two hanging about. What well, one other thing I thought here, Anton? How good does Razor look? Like, I mean, in the ring and physically, just impressive. Look great. And I thought the narrative of the match was Razor Ramon was Razor Ramon was better at every juncture. He, you know, he could. He was more agile. He was smarter. He was the beginning of the match. I thought was great. And, and then obviously Jeff Jarrett tries to escape because he knows he can't beat Razor Ramon. I was like, this is great. This is. I don't know what led to the feud between you guys, but in the ring, you're telling me a story and I'm quite enjoying it. And then it obviously got a bit silly, but it was, I, I yeah, I kind of enjoyed this match thought more than I would because this is certainly Razor Ramon, and if not Jeff Jarrett, kind of at their peak. Interesting that um, Scott Hall went into the Hall of Fame as Razor Ramon carry rather than as Scott Hall. Is, is he a somewhat underrated acts because of, we, we tend to think of him for, for stuff that happened away from the ring rather than in it but he was he was a really good worker by certainly by 95 standards yeah absolutely um i quite like scott hall i've always really quite liked him um yeah getting inducted under the razor ramon name presumably because of the wcw stuff and the fact that his, his actual name and wwe don't like people having their actual names if they can't own them presumably but um yeah, I thought this was really good, actually. I think Anton's right in that it tells a story that makes sense if you're watching it as a standalone thing, even if you haven't followed followed the story coming into it. Yeah, I like this. It's funny that um, the WWF have such a grudge against National Hall for basically taking a job offer that pays them more money for less work and that being like the worst thing that you could possibly do. How dare you be that? disloyal um that's very very vince isn't it we'll get back to the other matches shortly but i just wanted to mention some other points of note from this show a young jean paul levette chris candido and sunny were all on hand at the fan fest that took place before the show a pre-access access if you like el trippo would debut in the company soon after uh, it would work out well for him at least there were loads of production issues on this show from nicholas Turturro, the aforementioned chat from nypd blue not being mic'd up for his first backstage spot to vince talking all over owen hart's pre-match promo Carl, it makes you appreciate how far they've come in 2018, where any minor thing sticks out like a sore thumb. This was like they had their work experience guy doing the audio for the night. Oh, yeah. So when you first start watching the show, it does this very, you know, the very long WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 2. I'm going, what? Why have you kept all of this in on the network, especially? Because I know they, you know, chop and change and remove nodes and can, like, desaturate blood for when they put stuff on the network. I was surprised 
when it got to Mr. Tortura and he his mic was dead, I mean, why would you keep that in your network broadcast? And I watched more of it. Went, oh, there are just so many problems that it's an integral part of the WrestleMania, as it were. Um, yeah, WrestleMania starts with an audio issue. Issue. I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? You know, kind of probably fun- watching Vince try not to get really infuriated by it on air as well. Exactly. And this whole WrestleMania. There are so many fake laughs from Vince. <laughs> because he's clearly about to blow his top, but he can't. When he's on comms, he can't have a go at anyone else, which is absolutely brilliant. And they even like mess up the intro to the national anthem. And then clearly it was sort of an homage to Special Olympics or whatever, you know, cause um, WWE, WWF were sort of helping and promoting at the time. But they can't mention it. So they can't. So you have no idea why there's sort of a blind lady sing, sort of singing, and they've got like a lovely little uh, VT on the you know showing all the community. Work. Nope, no idea. You haven't promoted the charity. You wanted to promote at the biggest event, as well as you failed to introduce your biggest event. Oh, and the the, the, the other thing that I found really distracting throughout it, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, they'd obviously been so desperate for the mainstream media to cover it that they got a whole bunch of photographers to stand at ringside, but they didn't make them wear black. So they're all just in random clothes and it really sort of takes your eye away from what's going on in the ring because you've got this big dude standing in the way. Like, why why... <laughs> Why did that happen? I don't know. It looked a bit like a very strange kind of lumberjack match, didn't it? It's well, kind of they were all kind of bundling in around ringside. Were they legit? I, just I think pres- so. I just presume because they're not taking many photos, and a lot of them are yawning. <laughs> I just, I just presume they were extras, and they were told, "Oh yeah, there's there's all the representatives from around the world." I just presumed they were marks, thought- and that they're photographers, and there were complaints from people who paid big money for the front row tickets that they actually couldn't see what was going on in the match because these photographers were stood in their way. It's just absolutely shambolic. This. Can I just throw one more thing in as well, and especially off the back of Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon, Jr. He is, so he does oh, yeah. the immediate interviews <laughs> after matches. Always with the loser. But they're not interviews. They're just JR shouting yeah. at them. You're so, rubbish at wrestling, aren't you? So Leave me alone, mate. I've just been beaten. at Jeff Jarrett after the Jarrett-Ramon match. Goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're just like, wow. But it's brilliant. It's utterly brilliant because it's the only bit of kind of fan passion you get because the commentary is so bad that you at least you've got JR in some form and that's one thing I think it missed I didn't talk about last week at 12 uh, you miss that kind of moment that encapsulates the end and you obviously didn't get it for this one and JR was brilliant at the summary at the end of a WrestleMania or end of a big match and you've kind of got that here because he's he takes the role of a sort of fan reporter just shouting at the bad guy at the end I kind of enjoyed it production issues all over the shop but not on parts unknown because we've got producer Ben on board and right now he's going to hit a sting and then an advert Welcome back to Parts Unknown, the show that takes you through WrestleManias of yesteryear. Do rate, share, subscribe, all that good stuff if you can. We'd like to keep going with these. Uh, Bret Hart defeated Bob Backlund in an I Quit match with Roddy Piper as the special referee. We discussed him briefly in our Mania 13 review, available in the archives. But Bob Backlund, Kerry, um, he came out here to no music after he'd lost a game of chess to that uh, small boy from Home Improvement. He's an oddball, isn't he? <laughs> Bob Backlund, he's just the most ridiculous man, the most legit ridiculous man in wrestling. He's just so strange, and this match is obviously very strange, and Roddy Piper makes it stranger. But 
Again with Bob Backlund, you always get the feeling that he is genuinely strange. It's not an act that he's putting on. He would genuinely play chess with that small child from Home Improvement or whatever it was. Supposedly illiterate until quite late in life. And um, part of his kind of uh, nervousness, if you like, around that was that when he learned to read and write, he learned loads of massive words that he really didn't know what they meant, but he wanted to throw in to make himself look intelligent. So quite kind of sad in a way, I guess. He came out to no music, Carl. Road warrior-like pop for Brett here, who's kind of at his peak and probably thinking from a wrestling standpoint, uh, I'm getting to wrestle a good guy, but why is Roddy Piper just keep going, what do you say to people all the way through oh it? Oh, uh, God. Brett deserved a bit better than this, I think. We all did. <laughs> what on earth is Roddy Piper doing? Every every other move, Roddy Piper goes to the mic, what do you say, Bob? What do you say, Brett? So it's an I quit match. So he's checking to see if either combatant wants to quit. And it, it punctuates... Most of my idle thoughts now, because I've watched it. I've, it's taken me four. What do you say, Carl? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's taken me four attempts to to finish watching this mania. So you did quit this mania, effectively. I, oh yeah, I quit. This was. It's amazing watching the golf in charisma and cool. The moment Bret Hart is on screen at this mania compared to everyone else, and that includes Diesel and Sean and everyone else. He just has, um, what he termed intangibles. His intangibles were way up compared to everyone else. And I can understand why he wasn't particularly happy with this spot on the card compared to where he was the year before. And why he's beginning to to get a bit knocked off. Uh, uh, Why am I doing this? It is a fall, isn't it? From main eventing the previous Mania to... to, Bob Backlund. To Bob Backlund in a kind of novelty match. It's a bit of a rib on Backlund as well that he loses to his own submission move. No, the cross-face chicken wing. It, It was, yeah... I mean, it was. There's a wrestling phrase we love: cross-face chicken wing. That's a very good point. Say, say it in isolation. Absolute nonsense. But we all knew what it meant then. Yeah, I, I just I can understand why Brett would be annoyed. And it's so many times you look back now and you think, was this just Vince just putting Brett in his place, or is this just they didn't know what else to do with him because they couldn't have him on top all of the time, but they didn't trust the mid carders. I, I genuinely don't know how Brett ended up. At this stage on the bill. So so Bob Backlund and Bret Hart, this wasn't a one-off match, Carl? No. Uh, so 1995 is regarded as the worst year in WWE history. Um, Diesel holds the title for the majority of the time and is getting next to no draws. House shows are at a record level low um, because they're clearly struggling to deal with what WCW are doing and the fact that Hogan has gone over to WCW. Um, so round about this time, it's uncensored and it's Hulk Hogan versus Vader. And then at Starcade in December, you've got Ric Flair versus Randy Savage, which shows like the golf in who they've got at the top of their card, at least. So what they do is they can't figure out how to get the belt off Brett and get it onto Diesel, which is what Vince wants to get onto the beak. So Bob Backlund comes in, wins it on a house show, holds it for far too long. And it's on a house show that's pretty much undeclared. From what I understand, most wrestling fans talk about reading a wrestling magazine and go, what? Bob Backlund's come guys come back because Bob Backlund was not anywhere near the top of the card I don't even think he was on the Rustler week to week had come back to win the belt Diesel goes runs through him in maybe two or three minutes holds the title does it for a very long time and then it just doesn't work so Brett is stuck in this weird feud with Bob Backlund because Bob Backlund took the belt off him but at the same time he cannot break through because Sean is politic in his way to keep the title with him and his mates in the clique 
Fascinating period if if some rubbish in-ring action. Speaking of which, The Undertaker's streak has gotten gradually more disappointing as we've gone back through the years. Here he beats King Kong Bundy, a name I'd heard before but not a wrestler with whom I was at all familiar. He was part of Ted DiBiase's stable, the Million Dollar Corporation, as was Karma, a.k.a. The Godfather, who came out midway through the match. Um... We'll reunite with Bundy again at Mania 2. He's going to face Hogan for the title in a, in a steel cage. Carly didn't contribute much to this match, did he? Nope. Uh, <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, there's this weird thing with the urn, because the urn is currently in the possession of Ted DiBiase, and then partly through the match, Undertaker just grabs it, and Ted doesn't want to fight back. Uh, I'm very confused as to what's going on. I'd assume that once Paul Bearer gets the urn back, Undertaker will resume some sort of, like, emboldened offence doesn't happen Karma comes out takes the urn back mentions he's going to melt it down and turn it into some gold chains uh, and then my notes just say oh a clothesline finish shite <laughs> <laughs> Axel you get the privilege of explaining to our younger viewers what the urn was and why it was such a key part of Taker's gimmick very very cartoony period of the company this uh, and the urn really fell into that category. God, it's really difficult to describe in a way because it's, it was sort of his spirit his he it would, gave him his power his, or, yeah he would he would hulk up at a time when you always needed something to spur you on it would be the urn and taker would go down on one knee and sort of crook his fingers and get the power from the urn because pet bearer would something shout in his face and oh, the power of the urn. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good impression actually right um but then so kind of as carl was saying i was expecting that moment in this match and instead you know, Taker does get out of one knee and looks at it, and then all of a sudden... Not working, it's not switched on. That's yeah, a bit charged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Karma comes along and steals it, and everyone's okay with him stealing it. <laughs> it's all really very odd, especially when it's your ethereal character you, you're trying to build, or you spent months, years trying to build up. So just go, oh, it's actually all right if you take... You know, if you stole my shopping, I'd be annoyed. Never mind if you took my life force away. <laughs> Uh, in the tag title match, we saw the belts change hands as Owen Hart and Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette defeated the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart Gunn. Yoko was Owen's mystery partner here. The pair had tangled with Owen's brother Brett in separate matches a year prior. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, Yokozuna described as looking bigger than ever here. He died aged just 34 in a hotel room in Liverpool whilst on an, an indie wrestling tour. £580 at the time of his death. Curry, we've had many tragic early deaths to discuss over the course of this series, this is a, a really unique one. He he basically was a guy who just couldn't get a handle on, on eating right or, or losing weight. Sort of like an extreme version of how Big Show used to be, but to the point that it led to his death. Yeah, and when that's kind of his gimmick, you know, being the biggest he's ever been, you know, why would you be encouraged to lose weight? I feel fairly confident he'll have been told, you yeah, know, don't lose any weight, yeah, Kazuna. Um, we need you to carry on being this massive kind of sumo wrestler type figure. Um, yeah, this is incredibly sad, particularly hearing that line about he looks the biggest he's ever been when you know what is going to happen in a couple of very short years. It's yeah, a really sad story. It, it got to a point where um, the Fed sent him to, to what do you call rehab for people who are overweight, like a like fat camp, yeah, for, for, for want of a better term. There, there is a better term than that. Like, um, 
Carl, you've probably got one. Uh, I'm just going to... No, no. Re- rehab? Di- dietitians okay. help? All right. A rehab, a diet camp, if you like. Um, but he just he just couldn't get through it, basically. Bret Hart talks in his book about how he would eat dozens of cheeseburgers and fries and stuff and then get really cranky if there were no Diet Cokes left because he didn't want to drink a full fat one. Um, very, very sad story. Elsewhere, Anton, it's weird to think that this wouldn't be Bart Gunn's worst WrestleMania experience. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like this match. I, this, this match was fun. Why is Owen Hart a bad guy? That's what I'm trying to figure out in this match. They're trying to get Owen booed, and some people do at times, but everyone's in, everyone's into this match. Uh, Billy, Billy, I don't know what we're calling him at the time. Billy Smoking Gun, Billy Gun, Billy... <laughs> you know, Billy Mullet Gun. Billy Mullet Gun. Um, yeah, there's there's three good wrestlers and Bart, and it's... <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this match. And... The, my my only major criticism is how often are refs getting duped? I can't like just just get two refs in. I know it's before VAR would ever be a, a thing in, in other sports, but just get two refs. In. I suppose you're getting all these special referees and just get two referees in. So when one gets knocked out or one gets bumped or one you know inexplicably looks the other way, so the other one can watch. When when you say ref, you mean the official. The, sorry, the official. I apologise. All right, we're heading for the go-home spot now. There's one final match to talk about, uh, another tag bout where the Allied Powers, Lex Luger and the British Bulldog, defeated the Blue Brothers, Jacob Blue and Eli Blue, with Uncle Zebekiah. Uh, next week, we're going to see Luger go for the big one, the WWF title. How come Carly fallen so far in 12 months? And try not to use the phrase, because he's a terrible wrestler. He has anti-charisma. He is very much envisioned by Vince McMahon to become the next Hulk Hogan. Except, and we were going on Hulk Hogan, and we have said many things about Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan had was arresting and had a personality and had catchphrases, whereas Lex Luger didn't. We should talk a little bit about him in terms of his background. Shortly after SummerSlam this year, just eight days later, he'd leave the company without telling Vince he was out of contract, he didn't renew it. Um, Anton... Do you know where he headed next? Why it was significant? Went to the first Nitro, uh, WCW, and it was uh, from a shopping mall. Yeah, from what the Mall of America in Minneapolis. Um, yeah, which was, I think, a bit of a shock to everybody at the time, and certainly burnt his bridges. Considering Vince had put so much into Luger, and he he backed him. He was he was the guy. He was prototypal John Cena. I think when Cena came along and they wanted to build this another sort of American hero kind of style, they thought we need catchphrases, we need things to get behind. We need. We, he also needs a gimmick. He can't just be this Hulk light, which is what WWF tried to create with Lex Luger. Um, fascinating because it looked he he looks the part. He had the mullet of the time. He had a great yeah. He looked toned. He looked that that sort of. You, I can see why Vince would think. I don't care if you're maybe not as brilliant as the others. We can work on that. But I, I think people will buy into you and your character, and it's never really worked, did it? And, and he went to WCW really purely to fire a shot in the Monday Night War. Bischoff has said he, he wasn't that keen on him, but Sting, who was good friends with Luger, managed to talk him into it. Um, Luger's still alive, but he had a serious illness, a spinal stroke. Um, he was in a, a couple with Miss Elizabeth, the former wife of Randy Savage, when she died from a drug overdose in the house they shared in 2003. So, of course, a bit of tragedy to go with this match jacob and eli blue the harris brothers aka the disciples of apocalypse carrie did you recognize uncle zebekiah here it took me a while to i did actually um yeah it it was nice to see him wasn't it how, how would we know him more recently on we WWE know him TV? better as zeb coulter um the 
racist mastermind behind various racist stables of racism. And in real life, Dutch Mantel, a big figure in wrestling history. Yeah, um, genius booker, um, a genius uh, storyline writer in general, uh, genius talent manager and genius moustache grower. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. Not the best of offerings, I think it's fair to say. Carrie, you got a WrestleMania moment? Yeah, and this is a really silly one. It's where Diesel sits on the ropes to let the lady through into the ring. I just think it was really sweet. I liked it. Carl? Uh, it's a Sid Vicious moment. It's, <laughs> so they're, they're looking around for Pam Anderson backstage and then everyone's cutting promos and then Sid Vicious says, I don't know what he says. It's just rambling, incoherent nonsense before he's going, fear, fear. Drugs are bad. Don't take drugs. Anton? Uh, mine is with uh, the Bellas now sort of back in WWE TV temporarily uh, with Super Show and the build-up to Evolution uh, is the fact that they didn't create twin twin magic. Uh, Jacob and Eli Blue did with the switches <laughs> in the ring. So screw you, Bellas. You're no blues. Mine is all the mullets, but but don't tell my heart. I just don't think you'd understand. Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter? <laughs> at Carrie Sparkle. And Carl? Anchorman616. And Anton? At Sky Anton. I am at MJDAFC, but more importantly, follow the brand at the PU Podcast. Rate, review, share and subscribe. Next week is WrestleMania 10 from the mecca of professional wrestling, Madison Square Garden. That's going to be our focus. Brother versus brother, as Brett puts in a double shift. Two WWF title matches, one of which might just be the stinkiest bad in Mania history and Donnie Wahlberg and a fake Bill Clinton will also be popping in until then I've been Matt Davis Adams you've been in parts unknown the parts unknown wrestling podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.